and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. Um, Daniel. Hey, everybody. It's a whole Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. That's what we're reading. And every week, we interact with our awesome listeners, and Danielle is here to tell you all about it. Man, so we're going to read... We're going to read this, and then we're, we're going to talk about it, and you're going to listen to us talking about it, and then you're going to... Say, man, I got something to say about that. And you're going to write in <laughs> email or put a comment on the on the social media. And yeah. then that's a that's what we call we call that a hey damn guys because of a long time ago there was a thing where we explained that. And <laughs> then we're going to talk about what you talked about when you were talking about us talking about what we read. That's friendship and that's a book club. That's basically, that's a book club. And uh, then you're going to do it all over again and tell you what to read next time. That's what Aubrey does. And so then that's, uh, that's how you do that. That's awesome. You, Thank you so Yay. much. Yeah, you know, I forgot to mention this. Remember when we did Crimson Lotus Part 1? Yes. That was maybe. our two-year anniversary episode. Oh, okay. We what? totally forgot about it. I think because we just had our 100th episode, you know, we got all excited about that. We right. had that special comic from Matt. And then we kind of forgot about our two-year anniversary. We were so- thinking about the numbers. We weren't thinking about time yeah because <laughs> so, time has really like just no meaning lately so it really it's doesn't kind of... it so, really does not yeah we are officially in season three of the hey, podcast what do you think about oh that? wow wow yeah i was actually trying to think about where did hey you damn guys come from you know so that was we were laughing about that it's when literally we... some dialogue in a comic that yeah it's from hellboy Hellboy's. almost colossus yeah but then we had some listener feedback this was back in the early days of listener feedback and uh somebody said hey damn guys is the best line ever and then i it just took off from there i don't really oh, okay. remember uh how that i i if if someone's if someone remembers or right. if someone's listening just caught up on the podcast and still has it fresh in their brain yeah i mean i'm sure if you went back how, and listened to it you could pinpoint like oh yeah here's where it became a thing sure. yeah but i i I, <laughs> I like that you brought that up didn't like somebody send us an email that started off with "Hey, you damn guys." Maybe that's oh, is that it how was. it happened? Okay. And then, and then um, I think Danielle, you really liked it. And you're like, "Hey, yeah, send us a that hey, should you be damn the thing. guys." Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe that's how. Yeah, it was. I'm just wondering if like we suggested it or if they suggest. Yeah, so right. That's interesting. Yeah, and make sure you go out and you check out our fundraiser. You know, right now we a are fundraiser. Raising, yeah, we're raising funds for rain and we're also doing a comic giveaway you can win some awesome prizes including a prize package from lawrence campbell that includes an out-of-print book with your choice of sketch a hellboy head sketch from lawrence campbell and a signed sketchbook amongst a bunch of other prizes including like a skeleton crew replica that's currently sold out um, a baltimore omnibus set some hardcover books some signed comics and a slew of other great prizes lawrence campbell book club member Yes, he is a book club member. It's Very official generous, now. By the way, like this was completely unsolicited, and not only that, but all of these prizes from yeah. all of the contributors have been unsolicited, which is really, really nice. And so that's just want to thank you all again for doing that. That's really yeah, cool. Lawrence Campbell is so awesome, yeah. and I also got to plug his book Old Haunts that he's working on right now from AWA Comics. I've been checking that out. I think issue three just came out. So yeah, go Lawrence Campbell. Proud to support him, and I'm glad that he's supporting us in our fundraiser. All the money is going towards Rain as the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Rain's work is recognized by the media, members of Congress, and independent media watchdogs 
as a responsible leader among nonprofit organizations. So what you want to do if you want to enter our giveaway is you're going to donate to Rain. You're going to send the receipt to us, hellboybookclub at gmail.com. And then you're automatically entered for every dollar that you donate is one ticket in our raffle prize. And I want to, again, give some shouts outs to Wes Maddice, Corey Green, Christopher Egan, Chris Rawl, Robert Wilson, and Craig McKnight, along with Lawrence Campbell, for all their amazing prizes. Yeah, really, really nice of y'all to just, I mean, you volunteered these contributions, so that's that's very, very considerate and And they're generous. paying the shipping costs, paying too. Paying shipping costs, very extremely generous, and really cool that Craig McKnight's company, Muffin But Good Vibes, is contributing prizes, and so everybody that you just mentioned, very generous and very thoughtful for just you know, taking the initiative to contact us and say, hey, we want to be a part of this process. So that's really yeah. nice. So thank you so much for that. And um, that's really cool. Thank you for mentioning Craig and his awesome business, Muffin But Good Vibes. You can check them out on social media. Craig threw in a Skeleton Crew BPRD enamel pin. Oh. One of the really cool I like an exclusives I like that. from Skeleton Crew. We also have that Bog Rouge now in there. Shout out to Skeleton Crew Replicas. Yeah, Skeleton Crew. Yeah, so thank you so much, Craig McKnight. I'm going to throw that pin in with some of the with one of the other prizes. Cool, nice. Oh, cool. We've been talking about it. I think we might do some more books. Do you guys want some more books? Some Hellboy books? Wait, so books like as in an actual like one of the books? Yeah, like an actual so, book that you like read. So it novel? would be a so this would that would make this an actual book club. An actual book club. We need to change the name for real. to Hellboy Actual Book actual Club book. Podcast. <laughs> actual Book Club Podcast for real, and then yes. we'll just stamp for real. <laughs> On all of the whatever you share on social media. Yeah, you know, we had fun doing our last uh, short stories. Now, it, I was talking to Mark Tweedo about doing some of the canon books, but these are full books. It would probably take us a whole month to do one book. So that would be a whole month of just uh, no comics, just going through a book. And Not so, an actual book in a book club. Yeah. That's too far. So I just wanted to, you know, I, I think that Aubrey and Danielle are on board, and so we might have some episodes coming up soon regarding that, but I just wanted to check with our listeners. Let us know if you want us to do more of the books. You know, we, we might check that out, but they are, some of them are a little lengthy, so I just want to make sure that people are interested in checking that out. I also want to thank DJ Alpha T on Twitter for posting us for Follow Friday on Twitter, so thanks so much for sharing us, man. Oh, that's nice. DJ Alpha T, book club member. Oh, hey, there you go. Good job there, Aubrey. Nice. (laughs) And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. So get out your trades and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. We had a Hey You Damn Guys from Haydenor. Haydenor. Haydenor, book club member. Yeah. He said, I just wanted to say that you guys have been helping my mental health a lot lately. Not to get too much into it, but a lot of stuff in my life has been falling apart. And even though I have friends that live close to me that I've been able to lean on in these hard times, having a consistent weekly get-together with you guys and talking about my favorite comic series has really helped keep me sane. I truly value the friendship you guys have cultivated with the show. And I wanted you to know that not only is it a great show that you guys should be proud of, but it helps people that may be dealing with a lot of rough shit in their lives. You guys rock, and thank you for doing the show. Wow, man, that's really intense. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Hey, you know, but those, I, I feel like 
it's it's hashtag friendship, yeah. right? And and it's a yeah. reciprocal thing because when I get a message like that from Hayden, it makes me want to do a better job on the show. It makes me more motivated to participate in the community and spread the positivity because doing the show is a lot of work, you know? And sometimes I'm like, I'll even tell you, I don't want to edit the show today. <laughs> I just want to play. Yes, you do. But yes, you do. Though. I just want to play Animal it. Crossing no, and watch Twin you, Peaks. You love to do it. You love it. That's amazing. That's incredible that I could in any way fucking contribute to making anyone's life better in any fucking way. That's yeah. that's incredible. And so it really is a real substantial contribution going both ways to everyone involved in his life and our lives. I think that that's something. I mean, that's. We're really talking to each other. It's actual friendship. Yeah, it it's, really is. It's real friendship. Like, I know that, you know, there's people complain about, ah, these parasocial relationships that social media cultivates. They're not your friends. Well, we're not anybody, so we really are, like, yeah. friends with you. Like, all you have to do is just email us. We'll be your friends. Like, that's totally Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. So I think that that's really interesting that we are big enough to have an impact, but we're small enough for that impact to be real. Yeah, which is nice. And like so that. it's one of those things where we're actually communicating back and forth. The fact that we made a measurable emotional difference in your life touches us personally. Yeah. We're not just like, oh, that's nice, and then move on. Like that is a <laughs> that is an intense <laughs> impact. I mean, personally, like sure. that I that hits me kind of hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of intense. Like, wow, man. Like, so thank you for sharing that, first of all. And then second of all, I've I feel like I speak for everyone and say, like, I'm very grateful to have anything to do with anything like that. So, hey, man, yeah, yeah. feel free to keep writing in. That's, yeah, great. Yeah, well, yeah, reach out to us. Reach absolutely. out to us personally, too. Sure. You know? That would be great. And, um, you know, I... will talk to you about comics whenever you want, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Cultivated so many good friendships um, in the process of doing the show, and it's been a wonderful experience. And I think just spread the positivity around and try to keep each other going. That's all that we can do. Absolutely. I mean, it starts as like yeah. pen pals, right? But then like we end up texting and calling each other too. Oh, yeah. Like it's very, <laughs> we've developed sincere relationships. And I think that there's something about that that's very magical. I mean, I know I'm getting very sappy here, but I'm just responding to the tone sure. of the of this Hey Damn Guys. So I, um, I love it. I really appreciate you opening up like that. And I'm sorry that you're going through something so intense. I think a lot of people are going through a lot of intense stuff right now. And anything we can do to ease your burden in, in any way, I'm very honored that we were able to do anything positive in your life. So that's cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hayden. I hope to hear from you again. And we also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Brendan McVeigh. Hey, Brendan McVeigh. Book club member. Book club member. He's a first-time writer. Oh. That's oh. Nice. He said... Those glasses in the pub in the Rasputin comic oh, are awesome. imperial half-pint glasses. Imperial half-pint glasses. This is the shit I am excited for. Yes, yes, this is exactly what I was talking about. Please continue. Sorry. He said the design is a true classic. Okay. They chill great in the freezer and pour so smoothly. A highly drinkable cup. And he actually posted, if you go to Amazon and you type in Keg Works. British Pub Imperial Pint Dimple Glass. Mm. You can buy a set of four of them for like under 40 bucks. So, yeah. Wow. I wonder if nice. there's a local maker that we could buy oh, yeah, that of type of glass from. But in any case, 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for the visual reference. It looks like the thing. It's the exact glass. It looks like the glass. It's the glass. So this is exactly why. See, (laughs) you make fun of me, but this is why I say something, because that's the type of shit. No, for real. Because you're like, oh, who gives a shit? It's probably just a random glass. (laughs) It's a specific type of glass that is regional. Yeah. It's exactly what I was saying. Anyway. Thank you so much for that. I I was personally very excited. Yeah, thank you so much, that. Brendan. It's great to hear from you. Thank you. This that's exact, so awesome. Thank you. Yes, that's the exact information I wanted. Now I want a nice frosty cold beer out of one of those glasses. I know, yeah. right? It makes me want to buy some. <laughs> we also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Tom Barnett. Hey, Tom Barnett. Book club member. Book club member. He said, I'm not sure if this was maybe mentioned way back in Wake the Devil, so apologies if it was. I've been listening to a podcast called Phoebe reads a mystery, hmm. and currently they're reading the book Dracula. Oh, fun. I noticed in the very first chapter that Jonathan Harper has a dish called paprika hendi, which is paprika chicken. Oh, man. Remember oh, Hellboy said? Dracula. Oh, that's Mike Mignola's wow. favorite thing. And then Wake the Devil deals with Jurescu, the, dra- the vampire. Oh, that's his favorite thing. That's the thing. That's a definite reference. Yeah, and that's, that's my favorite oh, wow. That's my favorite panel, too, where Hellboy goes, Paprika Chicken, baby. Paprika yeah, chicken, baby. so yeah, wow. that's a clear reference. I love that. That's a deep dive that's into that. Dive. I love wow. that. <laughs> oh, that's a very satisfying dot that's been connected. That's... <laughs> I actually sincerely give a shit about that yeah, one. Yeah, that was That's great. That's great. This is great. Keep this coming. I this know. is some great feedback right now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. It's yeah. great to hear from you. We had some feedback on The Crimson Lotus. That was the episodes that we le- that we read before Rasputin. Mark Tweedell said... Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah, he Book said, I totally agree with Daniel's read on Agent Die. His quote-unquote Britishness is an extremely superficial version of it. Very performative. Yeah, when I posted all the Vivara comparisons, did you see that? I posted yeah, all the different yeah. Vivara versions that we've got. Yeah. Plague of Crows on Instagram said, oh, she it. <laughs> I didn't know Vivara made an appearance in Crimson Lotus. I definitely need to catch up on some reading now. Oh, hey. I hope I didn't spoil that. That's a great reveal at the end of that comic. Well, I mean, but I'm glad that oh. I could get somebody to come in yeah, and yeah. check out that series because it's definitely worth it to check out the Mindy Lee artwork. First of all, these have been out for a while, so... You know, and you announce everything that we're going to read. Yeah. So it's like, hey, episode such and such. This is what we're reading. So I feel like if people are like, hey, I haven't read that. Better listen to it. They know what they're getting into anyway. So it's like, sure. Yeah. You know, so I feel like that's cool that they're like, oh, shit, Vivara. Maybe I should check this out. You definitely should. So that brings them in. That's a, uh, what what do they call? It's a draw. Okay. She's She's a big draw. Yeah, for sure. You put her in the story, you know, and you're going to get some interested parties. <laughs> <laughs> Duoc Apocalypse said, Vivara is the best character. And Matt Strachbein said... Matt Strachbein. Book club member. Absolutely oh, yeah. a book club member, yeah. He said, I don't usually do this, but I like mine the best. Yeah. For his oh. Vivara, yeah. yeah. I, I I like his too because she's holding like a doll. A, yeah. So it's like the demon and then Vivara and, and then, then she's holding the dolly. Doll. Yeah. It's, it's good. <laughs> it's real good. Yeah. Really oh, good. man. Yeah, his is really good. I'm, I mean, I'm. I think Ryan Yule nature. has those pages too. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's nice. a good page right there. Ryan Yule. Book, Book Club member. member. Yeah, Book we're, member. we're about to get to Ryan Yule right hey. now on our feedback regarding Rasputin Part 1. Ryan said, I'm enjoying this series more so far on the second read. Like you mentioned, it doesn't have Hellboy, Liz, or A, but it's been fun watching Trevor's adventure and listening to you guys discuss them. I appreciate Christopher Mitten's art more now as well. It's really good. 
Yeah, and, and oh, yeah. I, I totally agree with him because the first time I read it, I was kind of like, all right, I got that out of the way. You know what I mean? On to the next thing. <laughs> that surprises me. But this time, it's like, I'm really enjoying this a lot more. Yeah. I totally agree on the second read. It's so much better. And this is my first time through, so I'm just like, hey, this art is fantastic. Yeah, it's really so great. So I, I guess I have the kind of uh, kind of an advantage of just coming into it yeah. with no previous sort of... I I think like... When it was going on yeah. and, and BPRD was Let's still going on, yeah. I'm just like, consume, consume, consume. And a lot of times it's just kind of like, you don't take the time to really sit there and appreciate the story. So it's been a lot better on this time around. He also had a, a noticed an interesting detail that we didn't talk about. So remember Rasputin's like talking about how he had a vision of the Ogdra Jihad and we see all these people having visions through time. And there's right. like, and there's a monk drawing it in a book. Yeah, it's dope. Well, the, the monk is drawing it with eight heads mm-hmm. instead of seven. Oh. So what is that about? Was that a mistake? Or and what I, I said? Doubt very much. What, what I said is maybe the the monk's vision was a little fuzzy, and he didn't really count how many heads were actually on it. Maybe it's not a head. Maybe it's like a different, like a you know, it, it might have been a mis- misinterpretation by the viewer. Mm, okay. Something that's. Well, I went back and looked at it. it there are oh, eight heads okay. on it. Well, yeah. So. You know what? Yeah. Maybe it's a uh, portent of the eighth head is the uh, heroes who come and uh, save the day. Or, oh, or the eighth shit. head was you all it along. Was, it was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> well, I was going to maybe the eighth head, he was thinking he would become the eighth head. There you oh, go. okay. Oh, like that's that nice too. Yeah, yeah. Of like, I am the guy who controls the thing, but you're fooling yourself. You're not going to control the yeah. thing. Yeah. So. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> when I posted about... I love how we can justify anything like post, you know, like after we read it, we're like, maybe it's this instead. Yeah. That's, that's a book club. <laughs> when I posted about the Heliopic Brotherhood, Ryan said, I met Ra once in the underworld. He was a close talker. <laughs> that's nice. from the That's from the 2019 Hellboy movie. Nice. That's one of the lines in I there. Know, that's great. Yeah, so I really liked that. That was a great callback, Ryan. I like the close talker reference. Nice. I met Ra once in the underworld. He was a close talker. Braxton Harrington said... Braxton Harrington. Book club member. He said, when Larzad arrives, the party gets lit. It's true. <laughs> that is true. And we had some feedback from Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew Campbell. Book club member. He is a book club member. He said, for more Rasputin-related mm-hmm. reading, check mm-hmm. out the graphic novel Petrograd by Philip Galat and Tyler Crook. And so we love Tyler Crook already. Oh, okay. So I got to check oh, that yeah. out. He said, also check out Beasts of the Black Hand and the Kickstarter campaign for Volume 2, which closes in two days. I checked it out. I already missed it. Ah. But you can actually pre-order the book if you miss the Kickstarter, so you can check that out. It's advertised cool. as... The next diesel punk horror espionage chapter in the Beast of the Black Hand saga from Paul Harding, Ron Mars, and Matthew Dow Smith. And Matthew Dow Smith, um, he was credited as Matt Smith. He did um, Ape Sapien versus Science. And then he okay. also did that killer in my head, Lobster Johnson story, where that brain came out of that guy's head. Oh. And it tangled yeah. up Lobster. Yeah. So, yeah, be sure to check that out. Jerry Turnbull said. Hey. Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. What do you say? So, remember we saw those Heliopic Brotherhood guys, the good ones, the good apples, right? They were helping in the Ah. seance. One one of them was named Sheldrake, and Jerry Turnbull said he looks an awful lot like 
Carswell from Night of the Demon. Does he? And so I wasn't familiar with that movie. I had to look it up. Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon is a 1957 British horror film. And Niall McGuinness plays Carswell. Okay. And he does look a lot like that guy. Like um, it's an obvious out. reference? Yeah. And we've okay. seen... We've seen that um, they'll sometimes reference certain characters like Peter Lorre yeah. and Igor Bromhead and They've stuff like that. They've referenced Peter yeah. Lorre a lot. Oh, yeah. Really Isog was also like a Peter Lorre character. But there have been like several characters. I remember Aubrey even, I think, you pointed out a couple times like, this guy also looks like Peter Lorre. Right. Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jerry Turnbull pointed out, you know, we were talking about the mannerisms that they give Broom and Harry Middleton. I was talking about, I love that panel where Harry Middleton's holding up his finger while he's drinking out of the glass. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. if you if you go back and you look at Brian Chirilla drawing Harry Middleton in the 1950s stories, he also draws him putting his finger up like that. Ah, that's so I wonder if that's like a I wonder if that's like a consistent thing. Like they keep the mannerisms because we saw that's that with Johan too. Does, yeah, Johan always had the same mannerisms. I love that. I, I love I, pulling yeah, that together. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's just goes like ah, oh, there's something so special about these stories about whatever Hellboy B parody, whatever in this verse, whatever it is. Yeah, about because it's creator owned i think maybe mm-hmm. is that all of the artists and writers that are working on this anything in this like verse is kind of connected in a way because they reference each other they go back and they give a shit they care yeah. they they look at everything that has to do with everything that they're doing and they're like hey i should draw from this instead of completely disregarding it and just saying no i'm going to do something that's the opposite and we've had this discussion so many times but i just still have so much appreciation for that. I think that's why this makes it so unique and why you can have these discussions and have a book club about this is because it is continuation and it's like we can take this and we can do something new and cool and we can still tie it into what happened. And so, yeah, anyway, it's good stuff is what I'm trying to say. And speaking of mannerisms, DJ Alpha T... You know, I posted a comparison this week of Broom holding his hand to his chin like all those different times. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. And he said... Old Chinhan Broom. That's what they used to call him. And there was this time as a boy at Eden when the others actually glued his hand to his chin for a laugh. Oh, those were great days. Oh, man. <laughs> oh shit. That's awesome. That's good. Ross Radke said. Hey, Ross Radke. Book club member. Mm-hmm. So the deal with the historic Rasputin is that he was the only person who could heal the royal family's sixth son. Everyone hated him because he was crude and lecherous, but whenever they threatened him, the kid got sick again. So he was tolerated and slowly gained more influence over the royal family. Historians guess that maybe Rasputin was somehow poisoning the kid, kid, or perhaps had some medical knowledge that was unknown by doctors at that time. When they finally killed him, like Aubrey said, they just did a bad job. It's suspected that the poison was expired, and the gunshots didn't puncture any vital organs. Basically, he's just a creepy dude surrounded by idiots, but still a fascinating individual. But what if he's a magic wizard? Exactly. And that's what that's why I like um, you know fictional Rasputin better than real Rasputin. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Ross posted a picture on our Twitter. He said, "Here's a charming photo of Rasputin with his wife and daughter, and Rasputin looks so creepy. Like he's got like these creepy, weird eyes that just like ugh." Well, oh shit. We shouldn't be judging people on how creepy their eyes look, but he was probably extremely creepy. And um, <laughs> Ross said his daughter Maria eventually joined the circus and became a lion tamer. Gross. Not much is known about her younger sister. See, lion abuser. And, and he posted a pic. A, he posted a picture of Maria with the lion, and he says 
She definitely has her father's eyes, and she still and she has those same eyes. Well, that he has. I mean, you can't wow. help how it's you really look. It's really interesting. Yeah, you know, that's where, where where did he post these? It, these are on our Twitter. Yeah, so you can go check them out there. Okay. Thank you, Ross, for doing all that research. And we had some feedback from Mark Tweedell. Hey, Mark Tweedell, book club member. Yeah, returning. book club member. <laughs> he said, uh, "What was going on when Danielle yelled?" Oh shit, Edward Gray. She sounded so distant, like she got up and started running around the room with joy. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes when Danielle wants to scream something really loud, she doesn't want to do it into I the microphone because she's going to hurt the ears. So you'll just like lean your head back and back just and go and off. Go that's, ahead. That's I just lean back and yell real loud. And <laughs> it's one of those things that I personally, when I'm like listening to something and people get super loud, I, I'm very sensitive to that. I don't, I can't tolerate that. Yeah. And so that's, uh, yeah. So I try to not do that to y'all, but uh, it does sound I got funny super on excited. The thing, yeah. Well, I haven't listened to it because that's a po- I have a policy of not listening to it. But I I got super excited about whatever a mention of Edward Gray, so I, I leaned back and yell real loud, and that's the story of why it sounded like that. Yeah. Back to you, John. Good job. Some behind the scenes uh, details here. <laughs> sure. Remember when we were talking about how Broom left behind the Flama Recondidus, a secret fire book, oh, when yeah. all that was going on? Oh, it hurts. Mark Tweedell said, so there's a thing in horror where an old house, while not strictly being animate, can still inflict its influence on those within. Yeah. In comics, I've only seen this pulled off when the influence is really obvious, but there's a subtle influence I've only seen pulled off in prose where the reader is privy to the thoughts of the characters. My read on the occult library in issue two is that the house isn't going to let anyone take any books from it. Sure. If you stubbornly refuse to leave the Flama Recondite behind, then the house will claim your life. Uh. In Trevor's case, he was there with purpose, and that purpose outweighed his desire to claim the book. I think if you asked him why he didn't take the book, he'd be just as baffled and wonder himself. How could it slip his mind? In pro, something like this is particularly eerie. The way some power can influence you without even knowing. Fantastic response. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Oh, that is great. Yeah. He says, I like to think the professor's noble intention saved him from being burned along with the library and its books. But this is me reading into it a lot. There are these moments when... No, it's beautiful chef's kiss uh, commentary. Yeah. I love... That's why it's a book club. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's great. He says, there are moments like when Broom drops the lantern and everything goes up in flames where, again, I think... It's not an accident. That's the will of the house at work. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I love the idea of a location. Even not like it could be it could be the house, it could be the land that the house is sitting on. It, whatever it is, it could be just that general even a three-dimensional the area. Right. Whatever it is. I love that idea though that the house is sentient or something not even sentient it just like has like a there's a something going on yeah and so that's so cool thank you so much for offering that up because and this is that's why it's a book club yeah well they even they even talked about how the military tried to you know use the house and everybody that went in there like some weird shit happened and they couldn't use it and all this kind of stuff so that totally makes sense i I love love it that's 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 great excellent that was great listener feedback this week thank you everybody who wrote in And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're continuing our discussion of Rasputin, the voice of the dragon. This is a five-issue miniseries published from November 2017 to March 2018. We're going to be discussing issues three through five today, written by Mignola and Chris Robertson, art by Christopher Mitten, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins, and another amazing cover as we open up chapter three by Mike Huddleston. 
Yeah, and so Man, I love this I love cover. This cover. <laughs> we already know we're gonna be killing some Nazis. Yeah. So I'm still Man. thinking about. I love the idea of something being location specific. You're like still that. thinking about that, yeah? yeah like <laughs> of it being imbued with a specific, like in his memory, maybe becomes fuzzy or hazy if he tries to remember why he left it behind. Like that's just so creepy. I love that. So yeah. anyway, I know that we're on <laughs> something new here, but it's just uh, that's good stuff. So yeah, no, this is a great cover for sure, and. um you know, anytime some Nazis get fucked up, I'm all about that. Yeah, and Mike Huddleston just has a great style for this series. Oh, yeah. These covers really draw you in. Um, and we'll get to it a little bit more when we get to the sketchbook section, but there were variant covers for every issue. Issue 3 had a variant cover by Francisco Francovia, and we've had some variant covers by him on some other series. He's a great artist. I follow him on Twitter and Instagram. He's amazing. I love his work. Issue 4 had a variant cover by Cuban artist Vanessa R. Del Rey. She began her career doing concept art for animation, and she's best known for the work on her hit comic book series, The Empty Man, published by Boom Studios. She also illustrated Scarlet Witch, Spider-Woman, and Daredevil for Marvel Comics. And Issue 5 had a variant by Michael W. Kaluta. We also saw his work on Hellboy Weird Tales. He did a cover for one of those issues as well. I'm psyched to read this. Like it, it the cover is good, but inside it's also good. That's yeah. great. Come Christopher on. Mitten That's, and Dave yeah, Stewart. That, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I just I had to throw that in there just because I know that we're used to that. I feel like we're a little spoiled at this sure. point. Just because, we definitely so. are. We've got some great artists yeah, on this series. So I you know, normally it's sort of hit or miss. Anyway, but this is good. So we open in Occupied France in June 1941. So following the German invasion of Poland in September 1939, France declared war on Germany. The French defense was purely passive, though. The French army simply waited for the Germans to attack. On August 31st, the French government began to evacuate children from Paris and its provinces, and the population was issued gas masks and bomb shelters were constructed in city squares. Major works of art from the Louvre and other museums were also evacuated. And the French army waited in their fortifications of the Maginot Line while the Paris cafes and theaters remained open. So they were just like just kind of going on still and just waiting for things to happen. The Germans eventually attacked France on May 10th, 1940. They bypassed the Maginot Line and advanced all the way up to the English Channel before heading towards Paris. On June 12th, Paris was declared an open city. And so, there, uh, you know, we always talk about the historical fiction that goes along with these stories. And so, that's kind of where we are as we open up this series. And so, we see the Project Ragnarok goons have come together. We see Rasputin, Ilsa Hopstein, Cronin, and Kurtz. And Ilsa's there. She's not pleased to hear that Kurtz and Cronin have had complications. Remember in the last issue, yep. they successfully summoned Albert Mayhew. They put him in a German's body. But when they tried to extract the information, just like the hunt to demand where, just like the hunt to demand where a request would be more in order, we see Mayhew say. Of course, I am in possession of the information that you seek. That goes without saying. What requires some additional explanation, however, is why I should give it to you when you have yet to meet the simplest of my demands. And so Ilsa's like, this is completely unacceptable. I love the expressions that Mitten gives her here. That's great. Her, yeah, her facial expression, her body language, it's very... <laughs> She's like, why Why do you care about this guy? And he's like, English, if you please. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
There is no one alive who possesses the location of the tomb. So if you hope to locate it, you will first have to accede to my request. Starting with some, and she's like, you will show respect. Rasputin finally puts an end to it. Hair geist. He says too much time has been wasted already. And he tells Mayhew to lead the way. They'll grant his request, but warns not to take advantage of them. I just think it's interesting how he's tried to interpret that in his own style. I just think that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I like this part because Rasputin, he kind of warns Mayhew. He says, if he takes advantage of them, you will find that there are fates far worse than death that can still befall a spirit such as yourself. And Mayhew's like, oh, I know that already. Now, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, I'd like some proper attire. That's his first request. He's like, can I get some other clothes? Yeah. (laughs) You can ask for anything at this point. This whole scene is just like pretty kind of interesting. You know, it's like Elsa's like, you know, bickering with the boys and they're like, you know, he's all this. And Rasputin is all like, enough. I don't care about any of this bullshit. Uh, just like the way the whole de- demeanor of the whole scene changes whenever Rasputin pops in and like, yeah, you know, kind of goes from kind of silly to this kind of like, true, we're wasting time. You can have what you want, but don't fuck me over kind of. And it's interesting in um, the way that it just the tone just shifts in the comic. And yeah, the art no, they works do a good so job well. of doing that. Yeah. 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 So, Thank you for mentioning that. While they're arguing, Rasputin the entire time is just kind of brooding in the back with his hands up over his mouth. And he's like just kind of taking it all in. Until he decides to step in. They're like, all right, goofballs. Over in France, we see Broom parachute in. From the unpublished memoir of Trevor Broom, we learn that he had half an hour of training, swinging from a training rig, and he's surprised that he didn't break his neck. And I like this. He gives a little whistle, so there's like a little signal, and it's a triplet followed by a quarter note, so it'd be like, ba-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And then the the response is da 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 da. Yeah, it's, it's the backwards. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I really I thought that was kind of interesting. And so Broom meets his contact. It's Sanhu. So we met Sanhu back in Rise of the Black Flame. There Sanhu teamed up with McAllister, who tragically died, Sarah Jewell, her partner Marie LaFleur, and this one guy that I kept calling Farang, who was actually a good guy, but he ended up being Ryman Diesel. The old Black Flame. And remember in that comic at the end, Sanhu's face was burned when he was trying to save Diesel from being consumed by the Black Flame. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so in that timeline, that was 18 years ago yeah. that that happened. So he's aged a bit since then. And Broom, when he meets him, he's surprised that Sanhu is Indian. He has reading glasses to show that time had passed. Right. No, he doesn't. (laughs) But Sanhu explains that there have been many immigrants from the Caribbean, Africa, and South Asia in France. And so this does have some historical context. Of course, I had to look this up. In the 1930s, during the Great Depression, the birth rate of Parisians dropped, and there was a new wave of immigration in the area. Yeah, it's interesting that they... I, I like that they bring this up. He, he's like, oh, I'm surprised to... Uh, I stumble over my words. And he's like, yeah, because I'm Indian. Well, um, Britain's not the only empire with colonies overseas. Right. So I like that they just hit you with that. They bring that in there. That's that's great. And I like yeah. this little detail. Is Sanhu like, going to bury all their parachutes or is he digging something up? What no, is he doing yeah, there? I, 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 I thought he was burying the parachutes. Yeah. yeah. So they can't find them and look for them That's right cool. but then just when he says that the area is safe they're spotted by german soldiers holding them at gunpoint there's no need for violence Sanhu tells them my friend and i were just leaving and you're not about to stop us 
and he swings his arm downward and a gun comes out of his sleeve. Oh, I like that. Shit. There's like a slap right there and he just blows this guy's head away. And like the fucking colors by Dave Stewart. Yeah. It's just like it, they just click into action. It is so cool. I really like that moment. Yeah. I mean, when you think about this, you get you get the black and white art. And I'm sure there's some communication, you know, between colorist and artist and writer and all that stuff. But still, it's like, you know, this could have been interpreted in so many ways. But yeah. to change the palette and to, to the lighting and it's just everything. And it's just it's so action packed. It really brings a lot to it. I mean, there's... <laughs> There's a reason he wins. Yeah, Eisner every year. The one thing I really love about this panel is just how the uh, once the gun pops out, the action just flows just so starts, fast yeah. down the, and it's oh man, it's just so well done and how everything was, you know, kind of peaceful and then bam, like you know. Yeah, you would like the score would pick up or something. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, like you the, get, it's like do do do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's looking for his gun, and then he gets shot, and it's like, oh shit! Yeah, and that, the panel, yeah. The pan, like he's looking for his gun, and then the panel where he gets shot, it's very a thing happened. Like, yeah, it's very sudden, and so I I agree that that's very the pacing is so well constructed. And we reveal that Broom's bullet didn't hit him. Right, it was stopped by his flask. That was lucky. Broom says, "Hmm, perhaps." Sanhu responds, rubbing his chin, and so. We reveal Uncle Simon. He's having a seance with those other Heliopic Brotherhood mm. guys that we met in the last issue. And they're saying, by your grace, shield him from harm. <laughs> like how he talks about it, how it's a tragic waste of gin or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. so Sanhu says, that is a tragic waste of gin. Such a pity. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because... I, you know, I had to go back and look at Rise of the Black Flame. I was a little fuzzy on the stuff that happened in that story. And I'm glad that I did because there's a little throwaway comment early in the series where some official has to come meet with Sanhu and McAllister. And he says, oh, you interrupted my gin yeah. to do this. And Sanhu's like, I could use some gin right now. So that okay. they kept that. That's a, that's a consistent thing with him. He's always like, oh, I want some gin. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And Broom asked Sanhu how he took out all these guys. As an associate of mine was fond of saying, this is not my first rodeo, Sanhu right. responds. Right. So I, I went back to Rise of the Black Flame. I was trying to see who says that. And I couldn't find anyone that, that said that. But there was a scene. So I remember Sarah Jewell, she had her partner Marie LaFleur. Yeah. There was this scene where Sanhu and LaFleur are going into the cave to rescue the girls from the Black Flame cult. Right. And LaFleur says, this is not my first dance. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I wonder, okay. but he says my American associate and LaFleur was French. Okay. So I wonder who said that. Did I miss something? So, yeah, let me know, well, listeners, if or maybe there's something that we haven't read yet. I was like, maybe it's a story we haven't run into yeah, yet. And so Sanhu says, hold on a tick. There's another guy. There's another German soldier still in the Jeep. And so Sanhu, he does like a magic thing. He's got like a word yeah. bubble with like a symbol in there. Well, that's, it looks like um, Sanskrit. Okay. It might be Sanskrit. Yeah, let I us know. I, I'd, be interested to, I'd be interested to know from our listeners if that is. It could be Sanskrit. Um, something in a, different, in a different language. I, I just super... thought it was like a symbol or something. No, no, no. Because I, we have yeah. seen that. We have seen like Rasputin and he'll, spoiler, he'll do it again in this comic. He's just like said something in a word bubble Absolutely. that's just like no, a series yeah, of stuff. For sure. Yeah. And so I think this could be Sanskrit or Sanskrit adjacent. And I feel dumb and uncult I feel super dumb and uncultured for not knowing what it is. I do apologize for being a dumb American. I will be apologizing for that for the rest of my life. 
But if you know what language that is and maybe what he's saying, that's super cool. Or if they took the look of that language and then maybe changed it oh, okay. to be cool. a symbol that looks like the language. I wonder what that sounds like. Yeah, I'm super intrigued. Thing. Whatever it is, it chokes the German yeah, guy cool. in the Jeep, and then Sanhu blows him away, too. Well, he does a very obvious hand motion. So we are meant to understand yeah. that he is doing magic, for sure. Like, he's doing a force choke, either a force choke or X-Men choke, whichever. So when you go into the grocery store and the sliding doors, or when you used to go inside the grocery store, back in the day, when you could go to a place and there were sliding doors, were you doing... Uh, Star Wars thing, or were you doing an X Men mutant power thing? I was it depends, personally it depends on the day. Yeah, it depends on the day. Oh, okay. So Aubrey, so it was for you. It was either or, depending on your mood. Yeah. Okay, John. Um, I'm I'm more of an X Men Magneto type of type of I'm power. More of yeah. A, yeah, I'm more of an X Men mutant power kind of person for sure. And Broom says, "Was that magic?" San who responds, "Like I say, it's not my first rodeo, and I've picked up a few tricks along the way." But it comes as a cause. Comes at a cost. And his nose is bleeding well, there. Well, and the right? haunted look in his eyes. Yeah. His eyes are yeah. very. I, at this point, I'm so in. Oh, I'm like super ready in. to see what is going to happen. Bought I'm into like, this yes, guy. it is so great. Yeah, it's on. Now we're in Paris, and Broom and Sanhu, they are on top of this building. They're scoping out this other building. Horrible Nazi flags everywhere. Get that shit out of here. Yeah, they talk about how Get it out of here. Paris has changed under, under the occupation. Sanhu says he's surprised that Baker Street sent someone so green, especially on a high-profile operation. Look here, Sanhu, Broom responds. I may not have your experience with spycraft, but I know my business. I have years of experience dealing with the occult. And Sanhu responds, years, is it? Well, now, I've been dealing with supernatural messes since you were still a babe in arms. And so I checked this out when Rise of the Black Flame, when he first had that mission with McAllister... Sarah Jewell and LaFleur, Broom would have been seven years old. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez. He's not kidding. He's That's that's for real. And so, Sanhu, we get a nice flashback here of him in Rise of the Black Flame. This is that moment where the Black Flame cult swordsmen came out and attacked him, Sarah Jewell, and LaFleur. He says, back when I was still with the Imperial Police, I hacked my way through the jungles of Siam, searching for the cult of the Black Flame. Five of us went in. But only three made it back out alive. So that would have been him, LaFleur, and Sarah Jewell. He oh, said, wow. He says we spent the next few years of the hunt for the Black Flame dealing with other monsters along the way. And we see were yetis. <laughs> yeah, remember the were yetis that right. we saw in BPRD The Black Goddess? He says there were a lot of monsters and boojums in the world if you know where to look. And so I had to look that up. Boojums is a fictional animal species in Lewis Carroll's nonsense poem, The Hunting of the Snark. San, who continues, sometimes I worked with the employ of the British government, sometimes as freelance. When the war broke out, I had already been doing some undercover work for the SIS in Germany, taking care of some unpleasantness. And we see him choking out a guy right there. The SIS is the Secret Intelligence Service, or commonly known as MI6. It's the Foreign Intelligence Service of the Government of the United Kingdom, tasked mainly with covert overseas collection and analysis of human intelligence in support of the UK's national security. So, I really had to resist the urge to start humming the James Bond theme song. Right. She said MI6. <laughs> Sanhu continues, I was seconded to the SOE back in the spring, and they sent me here to recruit French dissidents into an underground network of informants and agents. 
and the SOE is a special operations executive. This was a British World War II organization. Its purpose was to conduct espionage, sabotage, and reconnaissance in occupied Europe against the Axis powers and also to aid local resistance movements. Forgive me, excuse me, but this guy seems so much more interesting than James Bond. Like, right. In every fucking aspect. He's been around, aspect. yeah. He seems He's so super interesting. much more interesting. There's definitely more to his story as yeah. we're seeing in these flashbacks. I'm like, I want to know when he fought where Yetis and all this stuff. Shit. Yeah, I want to see him fucking yeah. fighting Nazis and doing whatever. Like, this guy is badass. This is great. And Broom thinks so, too. He doesn't understand. Why'd they send him when Sanhu has a lot of knowledge of this stuff and he's more experience? Little, he's just a little baby Broom right now. And Sanhu says his, his reports were never taken seriously. Had he known... Broom's sympathetic ears were there. He might have been more specific about seeing Cronin. Oh, yeah. Cronin, Broom asks. The two men your gravedigger reported seen in the graveyard. I don't know who the dwarf is, but the masked man is Carl Rupert Cronin, a Nazi scientist. And so here we get Cronin's backstory. He was trying to use science to extend life, but just created monsters. They were attempting to harness the shock T. So remember, the Shakti is what they call the Black Flame power. I think we learned that in the Rise of the Black Flame story. Oh no, I think we learned that from the 1950 stories. Cronin was involved in some accident. He lived, but also turned into something of a monster himself. Sanhu ran into Cronin when he was trying to save a missing girl a few years back. And so here's some more interesting stuff that we haven't seen. Remember the Rise of the Black Flame cult? They were using little girls to try and harness it. Remember, one of the girls became Kamala, who yeah. teamed up with the Ryman Diesel Black Flame in the Burning Hand. Uh, so I wonder right. if this has something to do with that or something like that. It, 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 it's so intriguing. I want to know what is happening in these stories. That's what I'm saying. Is it like this guy? <laughs> this guy. He's definitely got a series, I a know, miniseries I'm, or yeah. two that we can that we can get out of this they character. Really, they really went out of their way to be like, hey, you want a super interesting character in the middle of the story for no reason? Like, yeah, absolutely. This guy is... <laughs> I don't know. They kind of buried the lead with this guy. Back on the rooftop, they're scoping out the hospital where Sanhu had saw Cronin. He's also seen Germans moving men and equipment into it. So what are they doing in there, Brumass? Let's find out, shall we? Sanhu responds, I hope you don't have a fear of heights. This guy is such a and he badass. takes out this grappling <laughs> crossbow. This guy is such a fucking badass. I'm sorry. So great. I'm instantly bought into this character. And I love the uh again, the the character moments between him and Broom. Yeah. Um they they've connected so well. I, I love seeing them together. I feel like Broom's, oh, yeah. Broom's main claim to fame is that he raised Hellboy. Right. When, like, compared to this guy who's such a fucking badass, I'm like, why do we... <laughs> right. I Like, okay, Bro yeah, okay, but, like, this guy, like, where are his books? <laughs> where are they? We really need to get more of him. Yeah. We cut to nighttime, and we see Broom and Sanhu are using the Tyrolean Transverse to cross into the hospital. And so I Aubrey, had to... feel free to go ahead and do the, the theme song now. Like <laughs> okay. The term is named after the Tyrolean Alps in Austria, where this method was supposedly invented, where they like kind of crawl across the line upside down. Nice, nice. And I love I this. I mean, it would be harder to do it the other way. So, but I I, I do like this comical <laughs> I, I do like this comical beat 
I like to picture the James Bond theme playing here yeah. because Sanhu gets in there and he's stealthily like, quietly and then Broom is like Broom's falling over and he can barely get in. Imagine the upper body strength <laughs> yeah. it would take to climb into a window after doing all that. Like, yeah, that's a realistic depiction of a motherfucker being exhausted and never having done that before. And it's just great. Yeah. I like that they, like you said, that beat that they stopped. To put in there. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's a nice, refreshing. It's good. Good lord. Let's not do that again, Let's Bruce not do says. That again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, again, we talk about Clem Robbins doing the lettering. So they have this whole oh, scene while yeah. they're whispering to each other. Absolutely. You know, and the dialogue is really small. The letters are really small like that. And again, like, letterers never get enough credit, but you try fucking doing this. Oh, yeah. And having it be not only aesthetically pleasing, but. You don't even really notice it. You're just reading it. That takes skill. This is beautiful. Hand lettering a whole book with a consistent font. Chef's kiss. Sanhu says he's been keeping an eye on the window and he thinks the Germans are operating below. When Broom says that it seems haunted, Sanhu says it could well be. When the place was evacuated ahead of the German invasions, a half a dozen patients were deemed too ill to be moved. Nurses were instructed to give them lethal doses of morphine and strychnine. I don't know who I pity more, the patients or the nurses who agreed to kill them. That's fucking dark. This is super dark. Yeah, it is dark. fucked up subject matter, and so I feel weird bringing this up, but this, I I love the art. I I feel like, again, like, we're dealing with dark subject matter just like, like last time. It's very fucked up, but yet somehow the art manages to be very beautiful and very expressive, and so I think, you know, also we like to give a lot of love rightfully so to the way panels are arranged and that really um lends itself a lot to pacing how much are you zooming in on something what's the angle of this and what's the expression and what's the body language and it's just very um it really tells the story and so you're dealing with some dark fucked up subject matter but also you're dealing with uh a team of people who are telling the story right and i think that that's very important when you're dealing with situations. Yeah, I'm glad so. you brought that up because they really let this scene breathe. They let it breathe, You know, yeah. just like when Broom was in that creepy right. house in the last issue, you know, this hospital, they really give it a creepy feel and they give a couple panels of just them walking through and yeah. seeing some creepy slashes across the wall and stuff like that. The fact that they would tackle yeah. this, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, they would they would tackle the subject matter of like, hey, did you know this fucked up shit happened? But they're presenting it in a way that is... It doesn't take me out of the story. I'm realizing this conversation as they're having it. It feels very natural that they're going through this place, the way that the place looks, the way they're going through it, the timing and the pacing, and the way they're talking about it is very natural. And so we as the reader, if we're not, if we weren't aware of this before, now we're like, oh, maybe I'll go check that out and look it up and all this stuff. And so I think it's very, A, it's very responsible for them to tell the story right, even if they're doing I do magic. There's gorillas with stuff on their heads, and it's it's wacky, but they're also talking about the very real fucked up shit that happens. So it's just, um, it's a good blend. Sanhu and Broom, they find the morgue, and when they go inside, they see Cronin's handiwork. And so we see all these dead bodies with, like, they've been experimented on, they have all these tubes in them, and all these wires... Good lord, Broom says. It's inhuman. Who could conscience doing such a... And then a hand clicks on the power. Oh no! All the monsters get up. It's impossible, Broom says. And they're like As all those zombies and they have all that... There's this one that we see in a couple panels. He's got like his jaw all like falling off and stuff. They're like Frankenstein zombie monsters. Yeah. 
Stay in this line of work and you'll find that impossible happens on a regular basis, Broom, Sanhu says as he holds up his gun. So stop gawping already and start shooting. And so they start shooting at all these monsters. We got some very British lines here. Yeah. It's quite close enough. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Broom keeps his, uh, his British mannerisms as he's shooting off some of these guys, but they quickly get surrounded. Sanhu says... I've been in tighter spots than this. There's always a way out. Indeed there is, Herr Sanhu. Indeed there is. And we see that Nazi Cronin. Yeah. He's there. I've got a I've got that, a bane affectation for this guy. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. Sorry, Aubrey, what were you gonna say? I was gonna call him a goober. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name. His name is Goober. And so Cronin he orders the monsters to take away their guns. Now I'll make you pay for these poor monstrosities as well. Sanhu says, Yes, I'm very aware of your debts, and I know just the way you can repay them, Cronin says. You too will make excellent, what was it you called them? Monstrosities. Though I warn you, the procedure will be quite painful. And then so we see Sanhu and Broom, they've been unarmed. They're surrounded by all these zombie monsters with the tubes and the one with the jaw hanging down. Ugh. It was beginning to seem as if I would have been better off breaking my neck when I parachuted in. After all, Broom writes in Steady his on. memoir. Yeah. All right. Jeez. If this were like a TV show, all of a sudden, that's when the theme music will come on and ah. come on and be like, to be continued. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Shit pisses me off, but it's good. So on this, uh, as we open up to chapter four, you know, Cronin's a real piece of shit, but I love this this cover. <laughs> no, right. He looks so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of times I see Cronin and I'm like, why do people like this guy? He's, he's a Nazi. Like I was on... Uh, you know, I'm always like looking for stuff on eBay related to Hellboy no, stuff. No, it's not that they and, like him; it's that. They, and 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 someone yeah. was selling the Cronin costume, right? And I was like, "Who would buy this thing?" But it like on this cover, it looks so fucking cool. Mike Huddleston did an awesome job with this cover. Um, it's just one of my favorites. I, no, yeah, I think that a depiction of something can be aesthetically, hey, that's good. You can yeah. appreciate that they did a great job with the art without being like. The character is right and good. Like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, we don't agree with the fact that they're a fucking Nazi. You know, you know that's not what... Yeah, I think that it's just more of like, you appreciate the art for what it, it is, what it is kind of a thing. And so that's... Yeah, I feel like everyone can make yeah. a distinction. I don't think that that's a problem at all. Like, that's... Yeah. I don't know. I have some cognitive dissonance when it comes to that. Sure, no. Yeah. Obviously, these are Nazi fucks and they are bad, but, like, they're telling a story with this cover. It's a... It's yeah. a hey, this is what's gonna happen. Yeah, there's gonna be and, some villains going yeah, on. Yeah, and so you have, you know, you have your villains and you, you're like, fuck those guys, but, like, obviously they can be rendered in a way that's like, hey, look at this issue of this comic book that you're gonna read. You know, I mean, they have to do that. And, like, like how his arm is red, sure. you know, up to the elbow, and it just, I don't Aesthetically, know. It's a very, it's it very well catches done. my eye. Yeah, you know? that's, I think, I, I think, yeah. I think people know where you're going with that. So we open in the Catacombs of Paris. Hey. So I was super psyched about this because we just visited. We went there, yeah. We went there, like, uh, a little over a year ago. We were in the Catacombs of Paris, this is an underground ossuary in Paris, France, which holds the remains of more than 6 million people in a small part of a tunnel network built to consolidate Paris's ancient stone quarries. This ossuary was created as part of an effort to eliminate the city's overflowing cemeteries. Preparation work began not long after a 1774 series of gruesome St. Innocent's 
cemetery quarter basement wall collapse and it added a sense of urgency to the cemetery eliminating measure and from 1786 Nightly processions of covered wagons transferred remains from most of Paris cemeteries to a mine shaft opened near the Rue de Tomb Essois. So we were uh, we were in Paris, uh, and we you know that's not the only we did a bunch of stuff. We went to the Louvre and we did a bunch of different things and so. But at one point, John was like, "Hey, I really want to go to the catacombs." I was like, "Yeah, okay." And so uh, I remember you mentioned this to a couple people, and they were like, "Oh, the catacombs—that's such a touristy thing," but you know. I mean, at some point, it's like, well, we're from Houston, Texas. We kind of want to see this. We don't have anything like this in America. <laughs> so we went down there and went just down like a long way, yeah. like a super long way underground where you're at the point where you're like, oh. Uh, you're going downstairs and stairs yeah. and stairs like for a long time. And so then you go down these super long, creepy tunnels and you're like, are we about to be fucking murdered? Like, right. What's going on? And you reach this place and you go into, I cannot describe this to you. I know that to the people of Paris, the people of France, it's very touristy, but excuse me. In America, we have literally have nothing fucking like this. Just tunnels and tunnels, miles of like, it is literally like this. This is not an exaggeration. It is skulls and bones. These are human remains just like all around Everywhere, you. Everywhere, yeah. The walls all the way up, like it's fucking, and they made all these designs with it. And it's it's actually like a little bit more intense than even what is depicted here because they've arranged these skulls and bones in like clever designs and shit yeah and it's very weird and it's so fucking odd and one of the weirdest things too is you know we went during the summer and it was hot so we were in we were in shirts and and shorts and then we go down in there and it was cold super cold and because like other people that were going down there they had like jackets and stuff like that and we were like what are these people yeah wearing? but no when you go down there it's like super cold yeah. and stuff like that and it just added this whole eerie element it to was, the experience uh, very interesting. it is one of the weirdest things that i've ever <laughs> seen in my life weird. it was really an amazing experience so it was yeah it was super weird and like I'll post some pictures. That, so, yeah, I'll post yeah. some pictures that we took. We took some really cool pictures when we were down there. And I mean, you can just Google it. Like, there's a whole thing. Oh yeah, I'm sure you can find something about it. But yeah, it was um, it was interesting. And during World War II, Parisian members of the French Resistance actually used these tunnels. And after the Nazi occupation, the Nazis did uh, establish an underground bunker down there. Ugh. So there is some historical fiction to the Nazis going down there Gross. and doing shit. And the whole thing we talked about earlier in the last issue of like they're coming in and they're fucking coming to the Louvre. They, the whole I became obsessed with the idea of like having to like evacuate all the art out of the Louvre during the like Nazi. They're right, coming. Yeah. They're fucking coming and they're coming for the whatever. And so like they have this whole like I don't know. I became obsessed with like learning about all this and like they they had to get the shit out of there. And I don't know if you've ever seen like the fucking winged victory. Right. Or whatever. It's humongous. There's a picture of it. It was like the last thing to leave the Louvre. They had to like, there's like a picture of them like creating it, it out. Up, yeah. yeah. And like they marked the crates with all this stuff of like world treasures. This is the, if this is a world treasure, we're going to mark it with this. And it's like, what the fuck? Like they had to move all the shit around and it was just very, anyway, like, so yeah, it's interesting. Like, of course the number one priority is people try to get the people out, try to get the people safe and all this stuff. But it is also interesting uh, obviously, this is not, you know, saving art is not more important than saving people, but it is also interesting. Yeah. The measures they took 
to do all that stuff. So anyway. Yeah, it really, um, the, this series, you know, you talk about the historical fiction, but when you've actually like kind of been there and experienced some of the history and then you kind of read some of this, you're like, oh, it gives it a whole other kind yeah, of context. Absolutely. Yeah, And so here back in the story, the Nazis have been led down into the catacombs by Mayhew. And we see some soldiers being instructed by Ilsa to try to break through part of the skeleton wall. And once they do... Vicious robot Egyptian dogs burst out okay, and start yeah. tearing shit up and biting off their Nazi faces. Which is good. We like that. Uh, so they're like uh, like Anubis robots? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Egyptian tombstones and sculptures featured dogs resemb- resembling the modern day Saluki. This dog dates back to the Fertile Crescent. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. And these dogs became prized by Egyptian pharaohs and other prominent leaders throughout history, like Alexander the Great. And they have long floppy ears, but they would clip their ears like boxers. And so that's why they look like this, where their ears are standing up like these robots. Gross. but, But they were meant to resemble those Saluki dogs. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I love the action here as these dogs are like... Getting all these guys. It's good. We see like one of them biting off one of the dude's jaws and stuff. It's Bite really it gruesome. Yeah. Do it. Tear their faces off. And these are robot dogs, so it's like Yeah. We, there's no danger of the dogs being shot. It's like yeah, they're, they're robot dogs, so it's cool. They're like stone robot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mayhew says, Maybe now you'll listen to me. And he explains that the Heliopic Brotherhood put powerful defenses in place. Rasputin tells Ilsa to clear the mess and listen to Mayhew. Ilsa says, Cronin might be interested in the dog robots. And Kurt says that Cronin is checking the progress of one of his personal projects. I like how Rasputin's like, Okay. You can save one of these dogs for Conan to look at later. Like, he's like, all right, I'll allow that. <laughs> Back in the hospital with Cronin, Sanhu, and Broom, Cronin gives his villain monologue. This guy can eat shit. The master grants him time. <laughs> he can. The master grants him time to pursue his personal projects. And in time, he knows the master will come to value his contribution. He'll present the master with the future. And he tells Sanhu that he's fortunate to take part in this future. Because now he's planning on turning him into one of these monsters. And so we see Sanhu, he's all like strapped down on the gurney, about to be experimented nah, on. Nah, he'll get out of this. He'll wriggle out of this jam. And I like how Broom, you know, while he's being held by these other monsters, he's like eyeing the guns. Yeah. We kind of see this. I like this pacing right here where we see his eyes and then we see that he's looking at the guns. Yeah, he's a man of action. And so there have been questionable moments. Uh, you know, it's true. Uh, when we've been talking about Broom in the past, but no one is without their faults. Yeah, well, this would have been before all that, Absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. but so, I mean, no one was, is without their faults, but at the same, you know, at the same time, I feel like, you know, when it comes down to it, the measure of a person, you know, is seen in their most intense moments. And if that's not this, then I don't know what it is. Sanhu tells Cronin that he's a real piece of work. He's a real piece of shit. <laughs> remade yourself into this abomination and you won't rest until you've dragged the rest of the world down into the filth with you master race my arse there you go you lot belong in the dustbin of history and it's only a matter of time before that's where you'll all end up you're fucking trash i love that and cronin says that he's plumbed the mysteries that you and your english friends could scarcely comprehend for years, he's been working to harness this power, and so we see him working with that creep 
Von Klemp, the head in the jar, oh, and one of his Kriegrafen. That, that asshole. Yeah, we see them doing experiments, <laughs> and then so when the ma- <laughs> so when the master came along, he could not refuse his call, even if it meant delaying his goal. All right, all right. And Broom is like, "What does this have to do with any of the business with Albert Mayhew? What are you looking for in Paris?" And Cronin's like. The master's concern is none of yours, but then he goes on to tell him the hey, plan. He's all this shit. Like, <laughs> he goes, on. "I'll give him your regards when I join him in the catacombs." So right there, Cronin he's has given him yeah. the piece of information that he needs, Amazing. even though he says, anyway, "I like that part." Yeah. And now, Herr Sanhu, are you prepared to embrace your destiny? So Cronin's like gonna get ready to scalpel him. You're nothing more than a butcher with delusions of grandeur, Cronin. Sanhu says. So you made puppets of a few corpses. What of it? I've seen better tricks in the Grand Guignol. And so I don't know if you guys remember the Grand Guignol. That was a theater in Paris that was operating in 1897 until its closing in 1962 that specialized in naturalistic horror shows. And we saw Hellboy go into one of these in the Weird Tales, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so he went in there and they were real monsters you know, disguised as performers or whatever. Right on. Yeah, so I, I like that little callback to the Weird Tales story. Cronin says, puppets, these are the soldiers of the future. And he talks about that he will revive the fallen enemy in the war and turn them against their former colleagues. And then there will be nothing that can stand in his way. And we see, like, his vision of how that's going to happen. And you, Hersan, who will march right along them, all to the glory of the Thousand-Year Reich. And so he starts scalpeling <laughs> Sanhu across the forehead. And Sanhu's like, close your eyes for a bit, Broom. Oh, okay. And he says something. And it looks like Sanskrit. It looks like Sanskrit. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. It looks it looks a lot like Sanskrit. Um, I obviously cannot read Sanskrit because I'm dumb as hell. But uh, if and you know if you can read Sanskrit, if anyone can, let us know what these word bubbles to, say. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, Thank you for pointing that out. So. And so when he says whatever he says in Sanskrit, there's a flash of light. Cronin is blinded, and that gives Broom an opportunity and Sanhu to escape and grab the guns. Embrace your destiny, Cronin, Sanhu says as he, like, shoots him down. I love this panel. There's so much going on, all the debris of the machinery and the blood and the gun blast. It's really great action here. Sanhu tosses broom his gun and i love this because they're surrounded by monsters but broom doesn't shoot at the monsters he turns around and shoots all the machinery yeah so that's really smart you know he's thinking ahead yeah it's good shit and then all the zombies just fall over dead nice nice and broom's like if you had that in your back pocket why wait so long to use it i needed time to get the spell formulated in my mind and a little blood and pain to trigger it i fucking love i love it it's like Hey, this shit takes work. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, just do it. It's, it's not, not just yeah. Like, it's not yeah. a fucking light switch. Like it's <laughs> you know like that. That's fantastic. And I, I, yeah, I really appreciated that moment that they put that in there. That's fantastic. And from Cronin's monologue, they already know that they need to go down into the catacombs. But as they leave, oh no, we see uh, Cronin is still uh, fucking alive. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Over in the catacombs. So. When I turned this page, I was like, the first thing I thought was, huh, John and Danielle have probably been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We sure have. Mm. You know, and um, we're going to get into it here. 
but I do want to say that there were a lot of areas that were closed off. Yeah, well, yeah. They were fenced off. It was hum- It was huge. It was humongous. So like, yeah. you know, here they're going to find some secret passages and there's a oh, lot of yeah. there's a lot of myths and legends, so I did look this up. There's like legends of there being ghosts down there. Sure. There's legends of people going down there and getting lost and not being able to find their way out. Right. Or like secret ceremonies and black masses being done down there. Right. And like um they're gonna and San Hu believe- when you're down there, you're like, sure. Sure, yeah. yeah. Why and not? There, there are all these places that are shut off, they're gated off, so you can't many go there. Tunnels. And you can just look down there and see that there's just tons it more keeps bones going. and skulls and all this kind of stuff. And you're they just have like, a very specific set pathway for, for the, the tourists, people who yeah. go down there but it's like what else is down there now i'm holding it's my hand tunnels. to my chin like broom you and are like, yes, yeah mm. that's true that's what you're doing no it's like endless fucking tunnels and they're all gated off except the one like pathway that people are allowed to go down but obviously like you know there must be people like who are in charge of taking care of it yeah. somehow like so it's kind of like you you gotta wonder, like, what the fuck else is? Yeah. How much bigger? I'm sure there's. I'm sure you know we could find out. Yeah. Online somehow or something, but it's very. Yeah. It was. It was. Um. It was an interesting experience. And Broom's pretty astounded by the ossuary. He said that he read about it, but to see them in person is something else. Sanhu says. Unless a dead body is coming after him, it's not worth your time. So he's like, keep your eye on the mission, Broom. And Broom says, do you think there's any truth to that legend that... And then he doesn't finish his sentence. And I want to know, what is that legend that he was going to say? I think it's great because you know there's I mean? so many. He could be talking about almost anything. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it, I, th- I feel like it's meant for us to be like, of course there are going to be legends yeah. about this place. And so there sure are. And if you look on the internet yeah. and you just look up like the catacombs you in Paris myths or legends, so there are many. so many. Yeah. yeah. Sanhu and Broom, they find the Nazis. They find them in their, you know, the hole that they've breaking through in the wall. And Sanhu wonders how they're going to get past them. If they shoot, the gunshot will echo for ages. Perhaps there's a simpler solution, Broom says. As you say, Sanhu, this is not my first rodeo. Yeah. But I like how when San, when Sanhu says it's not his first rodeo, he's going to do some badass thing. Yeah. And when Broom says it's not his first rodeo, he's going to go in there and be like, oh, thank goodness, I'm dreadfully lost. And I was worried that I'd be wandering down here for ages. Where's the loot? Oh, I'm just a tourist making the rounds, and I took a wrong turn somewhere. Um, but, Amazing. But then in the distraction, Sanhu comes out and breaks this dude's neck. <laughs> and they start and a fight. Chops this other guy in the neck. It's so cool. And then Broom gets a nice little action moment. He tackles this one guy and punches him. Stay down. Nice, he says. nice. Yeah. So nice. We're starting to see like Broom's action side. His... Well, we've already seen some of it, but this is especially satisfying. No, I like I like the uh, the contrast there of like his plan is just to be a goofball. <laughs> it's yeah, it's 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 fun shit. And talk about punching Nazis, we see Broom actually punch a Nazi right here. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I was thinking this page, this whole page should be on the tape hacks. Uh, yeah, post. was this even in there? This no, yeah. this one. Yeah, that one should have definitely gone in there. Yeah, you get a broken neck, a chopped neck, and a tackle with a punch in the face. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> good shit. Broom says the last time I pulled that trick, it was to get past the guards so Harry and I could sneak back into Eton College after curfew, only with less punching, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly less punching. And he says, "But just what have we found down here?" Let's find out, shall we? Sanhu responds. And so they go down into the tunnel deeper to see what the Nazis are up to. Bloody hell, Broom says. And I love this scene by Midden. I mean, look at the detail 
in this reveal right here, you know, yeah. and so we, yeah, this is uh, it's a lot, and so this is I guess where. Eugene Remy, the leader of the Heliopic Brotherhood, was buried. This is his tomb that they've been looking for all this time. And it's just exquisitely decorated. We see all the Egyptian motifs around it, statues. There's like flames coming out of these jars. And then we see, I guess this is Albert Mayhew over the tomb in his Heliopic Brotherhood garb. <laughs> so when he was asking for new clothes, he was like, I need something a little more flowy <laughs> <laughs> exactly they've built some scaffolding with all this like machinery and stuff like that project ragnarok has they did that awfully fast don't you think <laughs> yeah i wonder how long they've been down there how much time has passed um between that reveal where the vicious robot dogs came out san who says we're outnumbered but if we split up i think we can come up the works I'll take the bloke at the altar, and you see what's up there on the scaffolding. I didn't come all this way just to see the Nazis do their dirty work. I plan to put a stop to it, Broom says. And so I love this moment here where they're like, this could be it. You know what I mean? Sanhu says, good man. If I don't get a chance to say so later, it was a pleasure meeting you, Broom. Likewise, Sanhu, he says. Nice. I we love got, that yeah, moment because they're like, this could be it. You know what yeah. I mean? We're about to go in yeah. there and who knows what's going to happen. So they go in. I, I got to say, we get that move. We get that moment a lot in a lot of movies and shit like that. And it's, um, it's, I feel like it's hard to pull off. Yeah. Honestly. And so it's always good to see that done well. Well, and they've only known each other for like two yeah. and a half issues at this point, but like I've bought into I it. have bought it, yeah. You know I've bought I mean? into this like, guy so I'm much. I'm pulling for these two and I'm like, man, I wanna I wanna see them succeed. A lot of, he's he's pulling a lot of the weight in this though. Yeah. I feel like this guy is again, like where is his series? And Broom goes up the scaffolding to find Ilsa and Kurtz, and he listens to their conversation. And we hear that Kurtz doesn't really trust Mayhew. Ilsa tells him to continue as the master instructs. I like this panel where there's a scarab and an ibis in the foreground. Yeah, we here. see That's the, cool stuff. Mitten really does yeah. an amazing job with all the relics and everything yeah, that are of, like, in this tomb. A lot of lotuses and a lot of hieroglyphs and just a lot of, um, yeah, it's good stuff. And I love this moment because Trevor is like, He's still pretty green, so he's like, come on, Trevor, you can do this. Like, he's yeah, saying to himself, yeah. he's trying to psych himself up. The lighting is so good. Ugh. Over with Sanhu, he sneaks up on Mayhew, conducting his ceremony. Mayhew mentions Atam Ra. And we've probably talked about this before. Atam, sometimes rendered as Atem or Tem, is an important deity in Egyptian mythology. Atam's name is thought to be derived from the verb TM, which means to complete or to finish. Thus, he has been interpreted as being the complete one and also the finisher of the world when he returns to the watery chaos at the end of the creative cycle. As creator, he was seen as the underlying substance of the world, the deities, and all things being made of his flesh or alternatively being his ka. Fuck yeah, that's my shit. Sounds good. But as Sanhu is getting ready to spring into action, he's spotted by Rasputin. Interloper, Rasputin says. You're the master, Sanhu responds. But it can't be. You're dead. Death is but an inconvenience to those who serve the dragon. Rasputin responds. But your death will be. And then there's this loud noise. And all this green mist starts to fill the room. Sanhu's like, the devil? Indeed, Rasputin uh, responds. Which is, it's a, like, what the devil? Like, what the heck's going on yeah. over there? Like, what? But yeah. it's it, like, it's, but he's like, ah, indeed. Like, that's very, yeah. that's good shit. Yeah, it is. I like that shit. Yeah. And so we see 
Mayhew is being imbued by all this green energy, and he's like laughing as he floats above the tomb. All right, man. Chapter five, and if that last cover didn't didn't blow you away, this cover. one is just amazing, yeah, right? It's good shit. Look at these colors oh, yeah. by Dave Stewart is just like blowing my mind right here. Well, I think we talked about this last week. Did Dave Stewart do the covers on the colors on the covers? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's artist? maybe that's um Huddleston also doing the colors. I wonder. Well, I think, yeah, I think a lot of times when it comes to like ju- when they do just covers, they they tend to do the colors as well. Oh well, that that's even more an incredible feat by Huddleston. Um, all his covers on this series have just been incredible, and this one just, like, tops it. I mean, this is the best one for the climax of the story. I really like very well-rendered lightning. <laughs> yeah, that is well-rendered lightning. We read from the unpublished memoirs of Trevor Broom, Since I began to investigate the Nazis' plot, I had come across mentions of an elusive master. It appeared that I found him, Broom writes. And then so we see Mayhew... And he's all being imbued with the power, and he's like, it's working. Soon the power will be mine. And I think I feel like we all know where this is going. Right. And Sanhu and Rasputin, they look on, and Sanhu says, I'd recognize those eyes anywhere. So we talked about the eyes, yeah, right? If you look yeah. at pictures yeah. of Rasputin, he has those very distinctive eyes. So Sanhu knows exactly who he's talking to. He says, but you died years ago. Go away, little man. There are matters at work here beyond your comprehension. Uh... And so I thought this was interesting because Rasputin's ready to let this guy go. Yeah, he's just like, look, you, you don't even, even you, with you, you don't even know what you're dealing with here. Just go ahead and leave, you know. But but Sanhu's yeah. not going to give up. He holds his gun at Rasputin and he's like, I comprehend quite well enough. Now start talking, or I'll. And then Rasputin says his magic. This is that shit you were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. That's where we That's we dope. we saw this in Seed of Destruction where Rasputin says a symbol and there's just like a symbol in the word bubble again i wonder what that sounds and this like. is the yeah. thing you were talking about earlier where you were like look i know that this is a bad guy and we hate him and it's fucked up but this is also cool yeah and so it's one of those things where it's like that's good storytelling though because you know you can't just be like bad guy bad good guy good like you ha- it has right. to be there has to be some fucking drama in there so i feel like we can recognize that this panel is very fucking cool. Oh yeah. Even though this guy sucks a lot. Obviously the you know, bad guy bad. Uh, but, but, but it's cool to look at. It's yeah, a but, good storytelling. But but again, I, I gotta give it to Rasputin here because he he makes Sanhu's gun hot and Sanhu drops the gun and then he turns his back on him. He is not fucking concerned. He's with like that guy. he's he's it's ready. To, impressive. He's ready to just let this guy go, but Sanhu keeps coming at him. Yeah. And then Rasputin yeah. finally throws him against the wall, and there's a crack. Yeah. And, and it's then, effortless. It's yeah. just very like, all right. Go away, I said, Rasputin says. He's not even bothered. And Sanhu's lying there in a pool of his blood. And so that we can pretty much tell that that's not gonna be good, yeah. right? That that's probably gonna be the end of yeah. that character. But he could have gotten away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is kind of you know, it's it, it it's interesting. I, I love how they play with the nuances of these characters. You it's know? fantastic. And it's very, He's not just like an evil no. villain like, I'm killing everybody. He's like, Go away, little little man. Yeah. You have nothing to do with this. Just let me do my thing and you can just go back and He's pretend a like more than a nuisance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't even pay attention. Then he turns away again. He's like, All right, this is he I imagine this going very quickly. Right. Like, I, I feel like the pacing of it could very well be super fast and just have him do a quick dismissive right. 
way and it it you know wouldn't even have to focus on it it would just be right and he would this he's completely utterly destroyed a person and so that's what i mean when i say that this is it's very interesting yeah it makes for interesting storytelling and it's um it's like he swats him away like like you would swat away a fly or yeah right. from you and that's how little concerned he is exactly and so the but like you said john the fact that he he's so determined he's he knows he's outmatched. He knows he's been outclassed. He's not going to turn away. He's not going to back off. He's like, this is where I'm going to make my last stand. If not now, when? Right, I'm right. just going to go ahead and just throw right. everything I have at this, which might not be enough, but I didn't do it anyway, because if there's anything worth fucking dying for, it's this moment right here. If right. there's anything that I've been fighting for my whole fucking life, it's this. And so that's that's where these moments... If they ever are going to truly mean anything, that's where it's going to come from. It's like, look, I may be a little more than a nuisance to you, but fuck it. I'm going to do it anyway. Right, And I, I, you know. Yeah, that that page really got to me because I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, man, you could have gotten away. You know what I mean? Like Rasputin didn't even really care. But yeah, you know, he's not going to do that. Just like we've seen with Broom, he's he's not going to give up. Over with Ilsa and Kurtz, they monitor the equipment and Kurtz wonders... If this is how the plan is supposed to go, Ilsa says, no, I think the English ghost betrays us. So they're starting to realize here that Mayhew is trying to, like, do his own thing now. Well, I've, I don't know. I got the impression that Rasputin was even maybe anticipating that. Right, like, just right. waiting for it to happen, yeah. You know, I... Oh, yeah, totally. Stop right there, a voice says. And here, Broom tries to have his hero moment, but he's all stuttering and stuff like that. You know what I mean? He's like, uh, hands where I can see them. No sudden moves. Now you will kindly explain what this is all about, or I'll start shooting. Look, this is a situation no one ever expects to find themselves in. So, you know what? I Yeah, benefit of the doubt. I, I, I feel like uh, he's doing the best he can, given the circumstances. And Kurtz and Ilsa are totally not intimidated they're at not, all. Yeah. You know, they're just like, what? Is, we don't have time for this Very nonsense. Nonplussed. And Broom's like, what is the master's plan? This and that. And so she's just like, deal with this, Kurtz. I'm out of here. So Broom, he shoots Kurtz to try to make it a little bit more real. He shoots him in the shoulder. And then so he's like, one last chance. Answer my questions, or I'll have no choice but to. And Ilsa's just like meddling fool. Ilsa's not I, having I it. I do like this moment. I love the expression on her face. She just like, she doesn't even care that he's got a gun. No, she just yeah. runs straight at him, and she just starts choking him out around his neck. I will say this once, slowly, and in English so that you understand, she tells Broom. I do not have time for this. And she like chokes him out backwards. Yeah. And again, you know, Ilsa is a piece of shit, but, like, that's a fucking badass moment right. out and of I, her. Oh, yeah. So I feel like Mitten, like a lot of the artists that we've seen working on these books, is focused on telling a story, and he's not focused on whether or not we're attracted to this horrible, weird Nazi, which I feel like a lot of artists would okay. unknowingly be like, let's make it a sexy Nazi, which is like, <laughs> do we have to? No, she's brutal, and she's That's trying with to the, murder him. Cronin is the sexy one with his S&M get-up there. You up go. there. <laughs> and so I feel like, <laughs> you know, the artist is very focused on the fact that she is trying to murder this person, and that's what we're focused on. Uh, something that I'm focused on is the where Mitten is placing his lines and how the lines are drawn. Are they very thin, delicate lines? Are they very bold? Where are they being placed? Is there a line that's just not there at all because it helps the action of the right. scene more? And so that's 
amazing to me that his style is so self-assured. It's so it's loose, but it's definite. Yeah, and it's um it seems effortless, but obviously it's not because he's you know worked very hard for his style, and so it's something that it's clearly taken him a lot of effort. If anyone knows anything about how to build a skill, but it's also it seems effortless. So it's I love how sometimes. It just seems like it's loose, like there's not a line where there would be a line if it, it's a different artist. Yeah. And so I just really appreciate that about his style, about how he uses line weight. He uses line placement. He he uses absence of line. He uses maybe where you would put a line where you wouldn't think to put one. And so it's just, um, I find myself just staring at the pages after I've read yeah. it. Uh, I, I finished reading the story, but I'm going back to look at these pages to say, hey, I appreciate... What you've done here on the last with episode, your storytelling. You, on the last episode, you called it confidence. It's confident. I think that's a great way to describe it. It's very confident. It. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. And so it's it's um. I just find myself staring at it and and just saying, I just really appreciate the way he has drawn this action scene. He's only focused on telling a story right. It's just great. And, and I love the pacing too. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. You know, yeah. as as Broom falls down into all the relics in the background, we can see Mayhew imbued by all the green and then when we turn the page we see mayhew it's like focused in on him you know floating above this thing also can i say these big mechanical levers and knobs and dials yeah what are the sounds they're making like there's a weight to really cool there's a weight to her movements when she's doing that this artist is literally only focused on how does a person's hand and arm move how are they moving and and that's the only impression that i get and in the name of Atamra, ancient of heaven Lord of truth and opener of every eye, make ready the way, Mayhew says, as he's floating above, being imbued by more of this green power. And we see, like, the tomb starts cracking open. Yes, Mayhew says, it's working. I'm sorry, but I feel like we all know where this is going. Yeah. It's almost like it's being built up to a ridiculous degree where we're just all like, this guy's about to get his fucking ass handed to him. But before he does, he looks pretty cool. These panels look pretty <laughs> cool, yeah. He looks like a the, job. The the panel where he's saying yes, he looks like he's auditioning for a Kiss cover band. Yeah. <laughs> all I see is a jobber about to get his ass handed to him. That's all I can see. And as he's getting more powerful, you see that he's like sucking the life out of the Nazi soldiers too. So he's like, we see them like um, screaming out and then they're all desiccated as corpses as like this power is blasting through them. Uh, I hope it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yes, I can feel it all. Just a little more, Mayhew says. And so Rasputin, he's just like, he's all calm in the background. He's just like watching this and he's like, like little fucking, fool. You fucking jabroni. And Cronin finally gets there too. I'm sorry for the delay. I encounter difficulties, but I can see that they've been dealt with. And we see Sanhu uh, bleeding uh, out on the ground. Does everything proceed according to plan? Cronin asks Rasputin. No. Rasputin responds, the little ghost thinks to betray us. But his body language, he's just got his hands folded in front of him. He's very relaxed. Yeah. Again, I feel like he knew this was going to happen with a a very firm degree of certainty. Like he, I feel like he really saw this coming and just kind of already had planned for it. I don't know. Yeah. Rasputin tells Cronin... He is not merely siphoning off the mystic energies that protect the tomb, as he promised, but attempting to harness them for his own ends. Whether he serves our purpose or his own, he must still open the sarcophagus. But once it is opened, he will be of no further use to us. And then I shall deal with him myself. I feel like that was just built into his plan the whole time. 
But this bottom panel where we see Rasputin calmly in the background and then Mayhew just like yeah. just going crazy with all this power. <laughs> that panel chilling. is incredible yeah. right there with like the stuff coming out of his eyes and his mouth. It reminds me of how when the Black Fire took over um, Diesel in the end of best, Rise of the Black Flame. It's mm. the best moment of this ridiculous guy's life. And Rasputin <laughs> is just what he's just like, all right. He's yeah. like looking at he's the He's looking time. At, his, at his watch, yeah. right? <laughs> Power which I have not dreamt possible in life is now mine to command in death, Mayhew says. Soon all of creation shall bow down before. Right. And then he's like, what's happening? There's a crack. The tomb opens up. And we see, I guess this is Eugene Remy. And he's got the golden tablet. Oh, shit. Okay, so. And that's the writing that we saw on the fucking island. Yes. Thank you, Danielle. For Yeah, so I had to go back and look at I'm this. Obsessed. So, um, in the island... Remember, we met that one guy. He was a worshiper of the Agra Jihad. He went down into the caves and he learned all this secret stuff after oh, yeah. he had been tortured. Oh, so dope. And then... Uh, Not with that Hel- he was tortured, just the, the story is good. That's what I meant. And with Hellboy's blood, he was brought back to life. And when he's telling Hellboy the story, he says that he went down and he discovered the truth. The entire secret history of the world inscribed on three gold tablets. Yes. Written in the first language of the first people. An old man taught me to read them, and a long time we were down there together, before soldiers found us and cut his throat. The tablets were broken and melted down, but I had committed their story to memory. And then he tells Hellboy the story, and it's the story of the creation. Yeah. Of the Watchers and how they fashioned the Agra Jihad, and then how they then destroyed the Agra Jihad and Fuck, destroyed yes. that Watcher, every piece except for his right hand. I'm looking across the table. John's got this book open. He's got the big like library edition or whatever. And so nice. I'm just like... <laughs> Oh, I gotta go back and read that again. I fucking love that shit. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited. Here. Yeah, it, I love this story too because it made me go back and read Rise of the Black Flame and the Island. I'm like, what and the so, fuck? Because oh, nice. I recognize this immediately, and yeah. so I, I want to do that too now. Like, I want to go back and read all. That yeah, shit again go. Too. Th- th- those are great companion pieces to this story. Just like Matt would always talk about, reading one of these stories just makes you want to go back and read another one again. And so, if you're wanting some more material after you finish this one, go back and check out those two stories they definitely complement this one well and so we've seen eugene remy now risen from the grave and with the gold tablet and mayhew now he doesn't have any of his power he's just like a white guy and he says <laughs> you disgrace yourself and profane the sanctity of my tomb betraying your, your sacred vows you shall be held to account for this sacrilege and mayhew says please sir <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, dude. he's like maybe if right. i call him maybe if i call him sir he will be gentle on me. Oh, man. I beg you, I only bring glory and honor to the brotherhood, which you yourself began, and silence, Remy says, judgment has been passed. And then so, remember, Rasputin says, if you attempt to betray us, there are worse things that can happen to you, even though you're yeah. dead. And so yeah. this is what happens here. And there's also, I mean, I remember um, Sandu was saying, oh, there's a price when you do this shit. Oh, yeah. You gotta yeah. be, I feel like that's kind of, yeah. you need to be aware. Both you can't just be like, ah, ha, ha, phenomenal cosmic power. You you know, there's like <laughs> some shit that fucking goes with it, right? Like, <laughs> So we see Mayhew, and he's like, oh, the flames are burning me and all this stuff. You shall not flee from judgment, <laughs> little ghost. Wait, the, what do you say? The flames are burning me and all this stuff. Yeah. That's great. That's a fantastic characterization of <laughs> someone's soul burning to death. That's fantastic. But it's like Remy stops him. He catches him. 
and he's like, you shall not flee from judgment, little ghost. The holy fires of creation burn spirit as well as flesh. The holy fires of creation. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what that could be. Exactly. And so then Mayhew is just dissipated. He screams out. He's That's a Wilhelm scream. And then Remy turns into bones. And the gold tablet is left, and it just clatters on the ground. I love that pacing yeah. there. And I can hear, you know, the thing just, like, fall down, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. And I can hear oh, yeah. Rasputin's delivery of At Last. Like, it's yeah. very, to me, like, that chills me to my fucking bones. Because there, there is fucking pacing, you know. That's that's one thing that we've been talking about this whole time, but it's, ah, it's delicious. Where he picks it up and just you can almost hear the echoey because it's a big room. Yeah, yeah. And it's all made of like, it's like stone catacombs and, shit. and everything. So you can yeah. almost hear just like the the delivery of that at last. Like it's just uh fuck yeah. man. So now he's got the gold tablet. His plan worked fine. Mayhew did what he was supposed to do. He's been so calm and, and so then, sure and of then himself. He just, this and then he just and then he just canceled himself out yep. by you know fucking with power. And now he's <laughs> left. Rasputin's left there with the prize, which is what he actually wanted. Just, yeah. Yeah. So it, it it all worked out for him. And then uh, I like this part because Kurtz is still he's all blubbering from being shot in the arm by Broom. And Ilsa's like, stop blubbering, Kurtz. <laughs> Ilsa, we were just leaving. I trust transportation has been arranged. So Rasputin's just ready to go along. You know what I mean? He's, He's like, like, all right, all right. let's, let's leave all this. We, we've got all these Egyptian artifacts and these amazing robot dogs and all this stuff. But let's book it out of here. <laughs> I got my gold tablet. Like I'm when, ready to get out of when here. When you've already played through once and you're just like, all right, skip, yeah. <laughs> skip the cutscenes. Let's go. Oh, the scene that we're coming up on is like brutal. Oh, right. Yeah. So then Broom awakes. Um, so he was just choked out by Ilsa, but he wasn't killed. He sees Project Ragnarok escaping, and then he finds Sanhu. And he goes over to him, and he's like, Sanhu, can you hear me? And Sanhu's like dying in his last moment. He says, stop him. The master lives. He, and then he just dies. And Broom's just there with up, him. Man. Yeah. That, really tragic. That fucked me up, because this guy fucking rocks. He was good. So. He was a great character. Yeah. We yeah. definitely got to see some more of his stories. I want to see him with the wear yetis and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 So we cut over to Baker Street. This is the headquarters of the Secret Operations Executive. And we see Michaels and the other woman agent. God, I forgot her name. It was like, I want to say Middleton, but that's not right because that's Harry Middleton. It was something like that. Anyway, we see both of them there. They were the ones that recruited Broom for this mission. They're getting debriefed by Broom. A pity about Sanhu. He was a valued resource and will be missed. But you're certain that this is the man you saw in the tomb? The one you believe to be the master? That Sanhu warned you about? Yes, ma'am, Broom says. I'd stake my life on it. You're just right at that, Michael says. Our people have been unable to identify him, but he is clearly a figure of some considerable influence in the Reich. So as long as this mysterious master lurks in the shadows, we will need you in the field. You are to identify him and put a stop to whatever he has planned. Yes, ma'am. I'll endeavor not to disappoint, Broom responds. And so my shadow war began. So shadow here, war, that sounds pretty impressive. So now he's going to go off and follow Rasputin to yeah. the events of Seed of Destruction and all That's that stuff. That's how all that came down. Right. So we cut over to this last scene with the Project Ragnarok gang. And Cronin and Kurtz are there being annoying little weasels. <laughs> and Ilsa's like, no, 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 no. Rasputin's not to be disturbed while he carries out his research. When the master has need of us, he will let us know. And so, and, and I thought this is interesting too, because they stay faithful to Rasputin, like even through time. 
You know, like yeah. even even years later, they come out of the ice or whatever to still work for Rasputin. Well, her especially, and that's the thing is that when he fucking does all that horrific shit and puts her in the Iron Maiden and all yeah. this fucking shit, she's still like, uh, I guess. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> but so he's psyched. He's pumped about this. Obviously. Yeah, we see Rasputin. He's in front of the golden tablet, meditating. I was right. The ancients too heard it. The voice of the dragon. Ogdru Jihad. And his eyes are all fucking weird. And so this is where he found out about the Ogdru Jihad. You know yeah. what I oh, mean? Yeah. He's gonna yeah. go he's gonna go try and find Saduhem and use that to crack the shell of the Ogdru Jihad and this and that. This is where he first learns about it from Fuck that golden tablet. You know, we know that the golden tablet has a story of creation, so all this is lining up and makes sense. It's cool to learn about that shit, but can you leave it alone? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go summoning a oh. fucking dragon of the apocalypse and shit so i was just thinking about this you know how rasputin was kind of you know just calmly standing behind mayhew and he's just like yeah. you know, not concerned it kind of reminded me of um return of the master where you're starting to see this guy's oh my god is this rasputin about to come out and then the ground opens up and a big giant monster eats him oh <laughs> right yeah right. yeah yeah and i was like the parallels behind that you know sure. are just you know, he's like rising power, and no, we're yeah, out of the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's such a great parallel. We see that a lot in these stories, too, because, like, when I think of that, I think of Astaroth and the two brothers getting ready to kill Hellboy, and then Leviathan just comes out and eats them. <laughs> Remember in Hellboy and Hell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of good stuff like that. Yeah. This was such a great story. I really enjoyed it. And um, I love Sanhu. He was such a great character in this. All the characters are really well done and well written. We have another great sketchbook section in this trade paperback version with notes by Katie O'Brien. And I love this. This is so incredible how the detail that they went through to design the tomb and everything inside it. The chops are real. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. She writes, two angles on the temple from when Chris was working on the scale of the layout. We need the temple to have multiple locations for action, such as the scaffolding overhead, and wanted to keep the layout of the tomb simple enough to understand without sacrificing the scale. They even, like, she talks about how they even, like, redesigned the page layouts and stuff like that to accommodate where the locations are and stuff like that. I find that so interesting. We saw some of that with Tanchi Zanyich, too, with the lobster's lair. You know, making sure that everything was in the right place so that way when you had different panels and different angles, you could, like, track that it was a real yeah. a real physical space with stuff in it. Yeah. And there's just some more great layouts. I love seeing the pencils um, of all the intricate work that Mitten did. We also get some of the roughs for Mike Huddleston's early concepts of the cover. So these are the variants that I was talking about. So there's the Greg Manchess variant for issue two, which is just amazing. You can see why this guy does like movie posters and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It's got a really nice painted quality style. We also have the Francisco Francavilla version um, for issue three, which is really beautiful. Um, and I love his style. Again, uh, follow him on Instagram and Twitter. We see the variant for issue four by Vanessa Del Rey and Michael Kaluta for issue five. I really like this fourth one. Uh, the What was the artist name again? Vanessa Close. Del Rey. Yeah, and I don't have these. Now I want to hunt down these <laughs> variants because I don't have any of these. I think I only have the Mignola variant for issue one. I actually didn't realize that every issue had a variant cover. They're really cool. I have the Mike Huddleston covers, which are amazing, too. So that was a great story. I really loved that. I really loved uh, seeing Broom like come into his own and get more confident 
And, you know, these are some of his first times, like, trying to actually do any action and getting involved in this kind of stuff. So It's, it's always a- good to see Nazis get ripped apart by robot dogs. Yeah, and to get punched by yeah. people, sure, yeah. yeah. Get their necks snapped. Get their faces uh, ripped off. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to get some more listener feedback on this story. Thank you guys for all the listener feedback this week. It was great. And please check out our fundraiser for Rain. You know, this goes for a really great cause. And right now, uh, at this point, pretty much almost everyone who's contributed is going to win a prize. So you've got really good odds. Your odds are good. Yeah, get in there. $1. Really get in there. Gets you a ticket. And uh, and throw some money at this. You know, we really appreciate it. We know times are tough, but you know what? We got to stick together. Yeah. That's that's, that's what it's got to be. So. Yeah. We, we, we got to get some more donations in there. Um, this is a really important cause. I really want to support it. And so when you see me sharing the post about it, you know, retweet it or tag some of your friends in the comments who might be interested in acquiring some of these awesome prizes. And, um, you know, a lot of our listeners and Lawrence Campbell have really come together to make an awesome prize package. So I really hope that more people will participate in the fundraiser. It goes to a really good cause, and all these prizes are you know, completely free. We're going to pay for the shipping, and they've been donated by us and our listeners. So please join us in supporting that cause. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Rasputin, the voice of the dragon. You can send us a... Hey, you damn guys, and tell us how we came up with the Hey, you damn guys at Hellboy Book Club at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Garderhorn from the music. Thank you, Paul. Thank you to Mark Tweedell for helping John with the reading order. And thank you, John, for doing that editing magic that you do (laughs) making us sound somewhat coherent (laughs) you can find the podcast on podbean apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from next week we are reading frankenstein underground issues one and two so you know what to do get out them back issues and borrow that trade from your friend i don't know do some cool stuff with it and Join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Frankenstein Underground. And I'm Aubrey Lovell saying, well, are you dead or not? Uh, Jeez. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs>